next steps for business. Dave, what are we talking about today? We've been having some fantastic guests and, and some podcasts on leadership recently. And today's idea was that I thought we could talk to somebody who has basically done it for themselves. They used to work for an organization and have become a leader. They've gone through that transformation process. And um, I thought it would be perfect for us to be able to just review that. So I've asked along Richard Stone from Stone Contracts. He's done all of this. He's walked the walk. And I thought we could get some real interesting stuff from that uh, chat with him. Brilliant. Sounds great. Let's do it. What if she fought for her freedom for her cause? So, Richard, hello and welcome to Next Steps. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So, for the listeners' benefit, Richard, would you mind telling people who you are and about your business, please? So, I am a 40-something building contractor. So, I own and run a building company, and we also have a separate business that does property development, and I coach and mentor other people and do quite a bit in the voluntary sector, trying to get people engaged into construction. And the reason that I do all of that is because my why is actually to help people for many years i thought it was helping them by fixing their property issues and problems and actually i've realized that actually it's just because i like helping people in general really that's my why oh that's brilliant i like that having a why as well which will probably end up coming out a number of times during our, our chat this morning the reason why i wanted um to have you on we've been talking with a number of different people over the last few weeks with regards to to leadership We've had some brilliant trainers on and, and whatever else. But what we wanted to hear is obviously somebody like yourself, effectively an entrepreneur, like you've said, you've got your building company, you've got your renting business, and obviously now doing coaching and mentoring of others. Proper entrepreneur. But what sort of leader would you class yourself as? What sort of leader? Uh, probably a bad one. Because <laughs> I, I don't follow a manual or a guidebook. I tend to lead with my gut and with my heart. Okay. So if it feels right, if it's the right thing for the people involved and for the business, then that's the right decision. It might not fit a manual, it might not fit a guide, but if it serves the best interest of how those particular people that are involved in that discussion or decision or action may feel or be left feeling, then that would kind of be why, how I would want to make my decision. Got you, got you. I think that's an important thing as well as to find your own way, your own feel for it, because there are lots of types of, if you look at leadership um, as a topic, there's lots of types of ways of people describe different types of leaders. But actually, ultimately, whether you're a bit of that one and a bit of that one or a bit of something else, you've got to find your own way with it. Something that's natural for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of the reasons why my wife jokes that I'm probably the most unemployable person in Britain, because I, I couldn't go back to work in other businesses because. I don't sort of subscribe to having this manual that thou shalt deal with this situation in this way. Every situation in a business involves people and things. Well, people are extremely complex, and the way that you dealt with a person on Friday may well need to be different to how you might deal with that person on Monday, depending on what kind of weekend that person's had and how that person feels. And, I mean, one of the big sort of eye-opening things for me was when I worked in someone else's business and the guy was massively into coaching and mentoring. It was before I'd even... I thought a coach was something you got on to go and play rugby. <laughs> I didn't know what a business coach was. But my boss, who was the MD, who I was being groomed to take over from, he was in quite a high-end business coaching group. 
And he came back one day and we were talking about different stuff. And one of the things that they'd done was this kind of situation where everybody has to sign into the room and talk about where they're at and score themselves from one to 10, both personally and professionally. And I absolutely found it eye-opening and it was really, really great. And it was great for a number of reasons because it gave you an opportunity to sort of get a bit of a feel for how people were and where they were at in terms of their mindset and their headspace, both personally and professionally. But it was a really, really good way to break down barriers because just by being a bit open and a bit honest about how you were and how you felt and what kind of things were sort of impacting on you, it changed the dynamics of the meetings massively. Yeah. And it was hugely beneficial. I mean, I actually, so we did it as, a, as an SMT and as a board. I then rolled it out with my team. And then I actually started doing it with clients as well. And it was really bizarre because our customer base was some of the biggest G15 housing associations and local authorities in the country. So to sit in a meeting with some of the senior exec team of some of these organizations and sort of say, right, okay, let's do something different before we kick off and let's score ourselves. So I'd always go first to kind of sort of just break down the barrier and sort of show a little bit that this is how it's done. But some of the things that came out of that were absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, there's two instances that I can specifically think of where people actually disclose stuff they'd not mentioned to anybody else ever. And one of them had actually gone on to get massive help and has changed and leveraged the experience he went through. And actually now he's absolutely flying in his career, whereas previously he was stalling a little bit. And the other person's actually dealt with a load of stuff that was holding them back personally. So it's a really good, really, really good way of actually breaking down barriers. But the other thing it does is it builds a little bit of vulnerability so that people can see that it's okay and it's safe to disclose stuff. And you also know where they're starting from, what they're starting yeah, position exactly. is. So if they're starting from a, you know, there's a lot going on at home, they're having a bad time, then actually that's something you can factor into in a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, most definitely. And it gives you the opportunity to sort of rethink how you're going to perhaps deliver something or approach talking about something that might actually not be that easy to talk about. And if it's something that's a bit of an underlying issue and it needs addressing, but, but actually do we really need to talk about this today? Or perhaps maybe we could wait till later in the week when actually that person might actually be better emotionally balanced in order to be able to sort of have a more meaningful conversation about that. It's a really simple technique, but it's really, really cool. We call it checking in. Mm. That's a brilliant revelation. Thank you for that. And you mentioned your, your early boss and being able to, because I mean, I think we end up being influenced by some of the leaders that we've had in our past. Some of them will have worked really well, and some mm. didn't. <laughs> I think I'm any politer than that. Yep. But that's great that we are fashioned of what our history was like, but how do you go to becoming a better leader from all the posts I've seen you doing on LinkedIn and whatever else? You're constantly looking to improve. Oh, massively. I'm a huge work in progress, and I'm probably too critical of myself. I'm definitely my own biggest critic. And I kind of see myself, I was talking to a coach about this last week and the way I described it, because I'm quite an audio visual person, was that if you imagine a journey from Land's End to John O'Groats, in my personal journey, I think I'm probably about four miles out of Land's End. I've got an awful <laughs> long way to go. But it's also important to look back and actually think, well, actually, when I started on this journey, where was I and how much have I changed? Because it's great being critical of yourself, but you do actually also have to sort of remember that where did I start and how much have I actually achieved since then? Because if you don't and you're only ever negative towards yourself, you're just going to keep telling yourself all sorts of negative stuff and it's really going to impact on your headspace. So I've worked with a whole spectrum of people. I've had male and female bosses. I've had some really great bosses. I've had some absolutely shockers. I had a boss when I was um, operations manager of a construction business 
who was a female. Great, she didn't know the first thing about construction. And that was a, that was what she said on the first day I ever met. She went, look, I'll put my hands up. I don't know the first thing about how to build stuff, but I know how to manage a team. And she was the ex-head of Gala Bingo. Oh, wow. And what she didn't know about managing and leading people wasn't worth knowing. She was absolutely amazing. We didn't always see eye to eye. We did lock horns quite a lot. I was quite young. I was pretty arrogant, I've got to say. I'm not proud of it, but I'm also not ashamed to admit it either. It was where I was at. And we probably didn't part on the best of terms either. But I had tremendous respect for what she knew, how she could actually like look at people, work people, actually get people to do what, what needed to be done, but also actually get people to look at themselves and actually work out how they could improve themselves with the support of a team. I mean, she brought in some amazing initiatives that worked really well in terms of us growing a lot more junior members of the team. And actually, that was one of my first experiences of actually mentoring somebody else. So I've a tremendous amount to be grateful for. For her, I've worked through some bosses that have been absolutely shocking, that have been just literally all they care about is the business. They don't care about the human sort of collateral damage. As long as the business results tip out what they need to, then that if the labour or staff turnover is huge, then so what? It's just a necessary consequence of doing business. I mean, even now, I still sort of go back and think, oh, okay, well, that experience there, how did that, you know, at the time, this is how I felt. Is that actually accurate? And I'll make no secret of it. One of my biggest hitting posts on LinkedIn was the fact that I was going to see a counsellor. And one of the things that I've done working with him is actually work back through some of those early things that have gone on during my career and actually unpack them, if you like, almost like when you move house and you take stuff out of a box. The only difference is with counselling, you put it back in at the end and then tape it up again. But what it does is it allows you to kind of reanalyze something from many years ago, but with the benefit now of knowing what I know and having the learning that I've had. And all of those kind of experiences help and shape me become the person that I am. But you also invest a lot in personal improvement as well, though, don't you? Oh, yeah. My wife's in the next room, so I'll probably not better disclose that much, but... <laughs> Yeah, I've spent tens of thousands on coaching. I mean, I've got, at the moment, I've got a personal coach, I've got a book coach, a sales coach, a business coach, and then a guy that I speak to ad hoc about well-being and stuff as well. Yeah, it's something I'm massive about. At the end of the day, if you don't know something, either go and hire someone who does know about it or learn it. And the best way to do that is through having coaches and also mastermind groups, because I think mastermind groups, Coaches are awesome, and I I attribute pretty much all of my success to two things. One is hard work, and the second one is coaching. But being in mastermind groups is absolutely crucial because it enables you to learn really quickly, vicariously, through stuff that other people have done and are prepared to disclose so that you can learn what those mistakes are before you actually get to make them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something I would massively advocate people to do, and it's why I enjoy coaching other people because it helps them to get quicker getting to where they want to on their personal journey. No, no, I completely agree. I think also if you can move from a student to teacher, then you just retain so much more information. You can apply so much more of your own readings, learnings, or, or whatever else to be able to, you know what I mean? Because you're now going to be teaching other people. And then I have yeah, a hundred more questions that, that you haven't thought of. So you, just, you have to know your subject. Oh, I come away from, from coaching sessions with more questions about myself than do actions about the people. But that's not to say they don't get value, they do. But the way that you view the world today will be different from yesterday. If you've read a book in between or, or you've read an article that actually has sort of piqued your interest, it will change the focus. And it's I don't shoot anymore, but I used to shoot clays. And um, everyone used to take the mickey out of me because I used to have glasses that had got different colour filters on, depending on what light it was. 
And when I had the gunsmith first showed me them, I was like, oh, what an absolute waste of money. It's just, it's just, you're just trying to flog me something for the sake of like getting in my wallet. But I actually bought them. I had them on a free trial and I bought them because the different filters made such a difference on different days to being able to see the same clay that other days you would miss. And that's no different to how your mind thinks. Yeah. You know, how you think today and how you view something will be different from how you viewed it yesterday because you've had loads of other experiences in that time. So we're all still learning. But also, like you said about one of your staff, you, the way you treat them on Friday may be different to the way you treat them on Monday because of what happened over the weekend. You too could also be impacted as well. Oh, massively. Because, Absolutely, you know, yeah. The car doesn't start or you've had a, a row with your partner or your best friend. or Yeah, huge. That's a massive one, that is. And the amount of people that I speak to that sort of say, oh, yeah, if, if things aren't good at home, then, yeah, I'm, I'm shit at work because I'm not in the right headspace. Sorry, I just swore on your podcast. Um, but, yeah, that's a really common one. If, and that's one of the things that was fascinating, sitting down doing hot seats in a mastermind, was that people sit down and they sort of talk about what their problem is and what do they want to talk about and what they want to get out of the session. And an hour and a half later, they stand up, and the problem that they sat down with is never the problem that they thought it was. I know someone that went into a mastermind group and ended up opening up about things that are going on at home, and they ended up completely changing their business and getting a divorce. Yeah, I know somebody, a similar but not quite the same experience where we sat down and a guy wanted to get divorced and everything wasn't working and he's now changed his business completely and his marriage is absolutely sorted and they've never been happier. All because he sat down and shared stuff and we've worked for it with him over the course of that meeting and the sort of subsequent another 12, 18 months. So as long as you get the dynamics of people right and people understand the basis that it's been set up, then they can be a tremendously valuable experience. Mm. It's interesting because I've had mixed experiences being in business clubs. They weren't mastermind clubs, so let's just be really clear. Mm. But they were business clubs. And one of them, we typically go around go around the room, you know, how's your week been? You know what I mean? What are your wins? What are your losses? Mm. Whatever else. And when we came to one particular chap, every week, oh, business is rubbish. I'm not doing this, this. You know, I haven't got enough money coming in and this, this, this. And he'd come out with all of his stuff. And so, of course, we were there trying to support him to help grow. Mm. And he wouldn't do anything about it. He'd still have Thursday afternoons to play golf. He'd still do this. Do you know what I mean? And you're going, but help's there. So in the end, people dreaded his slot because it was all a case of, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to me, that environment didn't quite work in that format. Mm. But you've got to have that engagement and the vulnerability, Mm. I think. Yeah, definitely. And the mix of people. You've got to come to that sort of thing, I think, open-minded and if you're not open-minded willing to listen and take things in and take stuff away from it then it's never going to work yeah no it's not going to and I guess it's the other thing as well is it's all very well sitting down talking about stuff and being open but if you're not actually going to be prepared to take away the action and actually execute that action there's no point having a coach there's no point having a mentor there's no point doing any of it because if you're not prepared to actually open your ears shut your mouth and listen and actually take on board what people are talking about and have the advice people are offering you, then there's no point because you're not going to get any value and all you do is waste people's time and frustrate other people. So it just ends up having a negative impact. Mm. And I think that comes back to personal awareness. And Richard, you said a moment ago, I think you've got quite a good personal awareness of, of everything, that you know, how you're operating and how things affect you. But not everyone has that. No, they don't. And I haven't always had it. And I mean, I still haven't. I mean, I can, I don't know if you can see this, if you, I press that, that's actually my watch that I wear every day, and that's got my wheel of life on it. So that's got all the different areas of my life that I want to try and make sure 
it's like you know a wheel if, if one edge of it's flat or one area of it is two and the others are eight it's going to go down the road like a three-wheeled like robbing a light van so it's about having things around you to remind you right, i need to do that i need to do that i'm not perfect far from it i'm pretty shit at some of it but i'm trying and i know the bits i'm not good at and i'm trying to work on them and that's I think that's the most important thing. Anybody that sort of sits there and says, oh, no, I've got it all boxed off. I'm absolutely perfect. They'll be the ones that'll be like one, three, five, one, seven, nine, one. They're in Egypt, aren't they? They're in Denmark. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's a personal awareness, though, that you're not perfect, basically, mm-hmm. and that you are working yeah, on things. Is. And I think that's sometimes the thing that people have that approach of, well, you know, this is great and that's great and I'm great and – then they don't realise that where things are falling down. Ostrich syndrome. Yes. Very much so. We did um, a podcast, probably it was around about this time last year, about Wheel of Life. and We did, yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of a chance for you to review where you are. The fact you do it more or less on a daily basis, Rich, I'm, I'm genuinely I'm impressed. I try and do it every couple of hours. Really? That's wow. why I've got it on my watch, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's why it's a home screen on my watch. So that I'm constantly like bang, bang, bang. Right, what, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to focus on? Wow, that's impressive. That's yeah. really impressive. Um, but it's just got a shit memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's <so impressive>. Yeah, <laughs> at least you found something that works to help remind you, though. Yeah, a misspent use killed some of my grey matter. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I need every tool I can to be able to leverage. Well, you know, having tools or doing it straight off the bonds, then it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're doing it. That's the, the key aspect. And I guess it's also living what you're preaching to others as well, though, really. so Yeah, I wouldn't. And it's kind of like when I talk to people about coaching stuff, I wouldn't be much of a coach if I wasn't being coached myself. And if I actually wasn't working on myself, I'd be a bit of a fraud telling people that actually, come on, we need to work on this bit. So I'm a firm believer that you need to sort of practice what you preach. I mean, the lady that I refer to actually, who was my boss, that is the only person that I have ever, ever taken advice from that's not actually walked the walk. And I've actually parted ways with a couple of coaches in the past where they're telling me to do something. And I'm like, well, okay, based on what experience have you got and where is your qualification to hold that opinion? Oh, what, you haven't got any? <laughs> Tura. Because I can't take advice from someone who hasn't actually done it. I'm just, I don't know, it's just in my DNA. Well, yeah, there are a number of career coaches who haven't built something up from the ground mm. up, you know, uh, yeah. grown it, sold it, yep. done it again and again before they can start talking about it, you know. Um, they've got a coaching business or, or whatever, and that's it. Yeah, and, and I think there's an important distinction because one of the people that I still work with is actually the, the first guy that I ever, ever worked with, and he's not had a business. I mean, he's got a business that where he coaches people that's actually tremendously successful. He's got some big agreements with national businesses. He would never class himself as a businessman. He is my absolute first go-to person. When I recorded a video that I was going to put on social media telling the world that I was going to go to counselling, after I'd spoke to my wife, who was the second person that I phoned, yeah. I don't mind telling this story because, I mean, he knows where I'm at and, and we had quite a frank conversation. So I, I recorded the video and I said to my wife, this is what I'm going to do. And she was like, okay, I'll support you, that's fine. She said, but it's going on social media. So I was like, right. So my dad is on LinkedIn. He's retired, but he had a really, really successful career. He's very well connected. So I wanted them to know because mental health is not something that we talk about in my family at all you don't don't put those two words together in a sentence ever this that's the fast track to the front door and i wanted to tell my son because i've got a son who lives with my ex-wife who's 17 now at the time he was 15 and i didn't want him to think oh my god what's wrong with dad if somebody somehow posted this video and he saw it 
So I, I recorded the video and I also spoke to Andy, my coach, and he was like, don't do it. He said, do me a favour, Rich. He said, change your password on your LinkedIn to password one and then tell me when you've done it. I was like, bit of a strange request. He went, seriously, don't put this on social media. So I was like, okay, that threw me a little bit. So I phoned my son and he was like, Dad, I'll be so proud of you if you do it. So I was like, okay, so it's one all. So I phoned the lady who at the time was doing all social media stuff and she was like, I think it'd be a really good thing for you to do. So I was kind of, I knew in my gut what I was going to do. So I did it. And the results kind of speak for themselves. And he actually had the balls to phone me up and say, look, I'm really sorry. I massively got this wrong. And what I've actually worked out in myself that I didn't appreciate is I've actually got a big age bias. It was really unconscious. But what you've done for me is brought that absolutely kicking and screaming to the fore. And I now realise that. And that's why I still work with him, because the knowledge and the skill the guy's got is tremendous. Yeah, it's almost like a natural pause there just for a second just to take that in. It's quite a powerful story. We've all got unconscious biases and sometimes it can take something really extraordinary to actually make us appreciate just how deep and how ingrained they are. And it's, there's not anything wrong with having those, you know. I mean, our beliefs and our behaviours and our DNA goes back generations and generations and generations. That's where our behaviours and stuff comes from. So actually, to hold those is fine, but we need to be conscious that we have those because otherwise we can't actually make sure that those programs are actually serving us properly. Uh, very true. Very true. One of the first times we spoke was um, given a presentation around mental health at the Derby Circle Club. Mm. And genuinely, I was I was floored at how candid you were. Really? And uh, Well, yeah, because I've been to a number of different areas, but to openly express it, it's something that I'd always keep private. It's just because of my background, the family mm. you mentioned or whatever. It's not just mm. something we talked about. It does help rather when you are absolutely the blackest of the black sheep of the family. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I'm not from the black country. I was I was born in Sutton Coalfield, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's not something that's terribly terribly spoken about. My family are not massively into social media, so but yeah, it does form like. The reason I did that was because I was scared about doing it. I was scared about going. I didn't know it was going to come out. And something in my brain just said, there's going to be other people that are going through that. Talk about it. You might help someone. And th- and that's why I did it. And, you know, it's helped. It's helped an awful lot of people. So it was worthwhile. It wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't easy doing that first video. But now it's something that I talk about all the time. And, I've actually had some quite interesting discussions with people because one person actually asked me what my qualifications were to talk about it. And when I said to them, well, what qualifications do you suggest that I go and get to talk about what's going on in my head? They couldn't really give me an answer. Yeah. Because I'm not sure you can really go and get an MVQ in actually interpreting your own feelings and brain. If um, you're not turning around and giving advice, you're just saying, exactly. this is what's happening to me. Then, yeah, yeah I completely agree. If you're you're diagnosing other people... That's yeah, that's something that I would never that's do. That's completely different. Mm. But but self-diagnosis, yeah. you know, mm. I mean, I'm not obviously suggesting mm. people go around onto Wikipedia and looking up, oh, I've got a, a spot, you know what I mean, and, and looking up the, the <laughs> medical dictionaries or whatever. But that own, look, this is what I'm feeling and mm. whatever else, I think you're completely mm. justifiable. No, that's that's really good. So we touched earlier on about the way that you handle some of your staff and differently potentially on a Friday to a Monday and whatever else. What do you think? your staff expect from you as a leader? I think they expect me to act honestly, to act with integrity, to be respectful 
of them and of our customers to do the right thing in terms of business. So one of the things that we had to do when COVID first hit, I mean, within seven days of COVID actually becoming a thing in the UK, we'd lost £1.7 million worth of orders. Wow. Which, bearing in mind, we were a year two business from a startup in 2019. was kind of a bit like the Titanic smashing into the iceberg. Yeah. I mean, we went from having, actually, sorry, I said 1.7. That's not true. It was 1.4. We went from having 1.7 million pounds of secured work to having 300k in seven days. And it was literally every day, it was like, right, what email is going to come in today? What's going to happen today? And we, we were just open and honest with people and said, look, this is where things are at. We'll do our best. I mean, that's why I went back on the tools for a year because I wanted to make sure that we could still survive. I wanted to make sure we still had money coming in um, to meet our obligations. To be honest, I think in this day and age, people want people to be respectful. People want people to be honest, to act with integrity and to be supportive and to support people in their professional journey. And I think the whole honesty and integrity thing even comes down to the point where, you know, most people don't work in a business forever these days. So at some point, people are going to want to leave. And it happens all the time in construction. I mean, scaffolding is a massive one where companies take people as a labourer, invest in their cots and their training, and then all of a sudden they get to a part two and they want to leave and go and work somewhere else. And people are surprised and like, to a degree, it's going to happen. People want to career, they want to sort of enhance their career. And I think it's about actually how you deal with it and how you manage that. So I think really that's all people want. They want to know what's going on. They don't want like anything sort of hidden up. Or I mean, we had a conversation with the contracts manager that worked for us and said, look, this is where things are at. This is what Rich is going to do. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to mean for you. This is how things are going to pan out. And we've got a plan A, we've got a plan B, and we've got a plan C. And, you know, I think that really is all you can do is actually engage with people, talk to people, find out what's going on in their world and find out the impact of different changes and things that might happen within the business and make sure that the message is is not just communicated, that it's actually landed because you can have a conversation with one person and say, look, our P&L is this. Someone else would be, what, P&L? What do you mean, Procter & Gamble? No, 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 <laughs> P&L, profit and loss. So you've got to make sure that you've kind of like talk to people in the level of language that is actually going to land with them. I mean, I did a lot of work with a copywriter a couple of years ago, and one of the fascinating things that I came out of that, I mean, this guy writes some sales letters that he gets paid five figures for one letter, so he knows his stuff. And one of the things that he will always do when he's writing a sales letter, he will use language that could be understood by an 11-year-old. Right. Because actually, that is the average reading age and listening age of a person in the UK as an adult. That's incredible. So if you sit there and talk to someone who's a chippy or a bricklayer or a scaffold and say, yeah, well, our turnover is a little bit down and, you know, our net position is not great. They're going to be, what do you mean net position? Didn't they done fishing? Yeah. You need to actually talk to people in a level of language that he's going to understand. And that's not to be disrespectful to anybody who's in the trades because I come from a trades background. So I can see what it's like from both sides. And I remember sitting in my first meeting, a bloke telling me about the management accounts. I was like, what? What are you on about management? I don't know what you're talking about, mate. But it was just this auto-assumption that because their educational level was at that level, mine would be at the same level, and it wasn't. And that's, I think, probably one of the most valuable learnings that I've taken from coming off the tools, starting as a labourer at sort of 10 years old and working my way up, is actually, if you think, sit back and take time to think about it, you remember how you think and how you felt and what you knew at those different levels of being in business. And that's what I try and call on when I talk to people. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So last sort of question, and that's that 
I mean, obviously, you've worked for companies, as you've said, some you've seen eye to eye with and some you haven't. Mm-hmm. And now you've got your own business. How did yep. you transform from being a company person to a business owner with staff? How did I transform? Well, cool. That's a question that gives rise to about 20 different sub-questions, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's almost like a whole condensed list. Perhaps, perhaps we should have that as a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> Probably. Um Okay, I'll start off by saying that I don't think I ever was really a company person. Um, so I was on tools for years, and a friend of my ex-wife's was a QS um, and said to me, look, you've clearly got a brain. We've had loads of conversations. You've done a couple of builds for the guy who runs the company you're working for. Trained to be a site manager. I was like, okay. So I trained to be, I did my ONC, HNC. It's where I met our safety officer now, who we're still best friends 25 years later. So I did that, and I was like, Okay, so I've got this training. So I wrote a CV. I didn't even know what CV was at to find out. Wrote a CV out, sent it to four companies, got three interviews, and all three of them sent job offers. But I got one on the Monday. No, I had the interviews on the Monday. I had the job first job offer on the Wednesday, and the second two came on the Thursday. Because this was in the days when people did stuff by that snail mail stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So... So the first one that came back was the company that I went to for the first interview, and I took it because I was like, oh, my God, I've got a job. This is like, well, how cool is this? And I remember I went to see my mum and dad, and my dad was at work, and my mum was like, I'll give you a week. They'll tumble you. They'll find out that you can't do this job. I'll give you a week. I was like, mum, I've got a laptop. They're giving me a computer. I don't even know how to use it, but they're giving me a computer and a digital camera. She was like, I'll give it a week. So I started as assistant site manager, and over the course of nine years, I rose to being operations manager. Um, and then left because I was quite cocky, quite arrogant, and thought that I could do better. And also, we we were trying to do a management buyout that um, was thwarted by the current owner or the then owner of the business. And that I felt like I was at home. It was quite a small business. It was just under twenty million per annum, really profitable, nice nice company, quite aggressive, quite contractual. And then I worked at a few big nationals for a little while. Never ever really felt like I was ever at home at all. And Bizarrely, I actually got approached by another regional contractor to go and work for them. And his opening words to me were, you're just walking around looking to find a family to work with. And at the time, I thought, well, that's quite a profound statement. I don't either disagree or agree with it, but it's quite a profound thing to say. Didn't really fancy it. So I went to work somewhere else for a while, which was a, a sort of a, a decent-sized contractor. Again, it wasn't really my bag. And then when I set up on my own, I kind of wanted to sort of take the good bits from all of those different businesses, whether they were sort of 10 million, 5 million or 100 million, and make sure that we try and do all of those things. But equally, the other thing that it had given me was loads and loads of insight about all the stuff that you really, really shouldn't do. Because some of those businesses failed. They never failed because they've got poor staff. They failed because of their commercial processes or their lack of lack of accountability or lack of control. So when I set up on my own, I wanted to make sure that I kind of sort of took all of the kind of good, bad and ugly mm. and distilled that down into a much, much smaller version, which is Stone Contracts. Yeah, oh, that's that's brilliant. But didn't you also have to go through a mental shift as well? Quite a bit of a mental shift. Yeah, and it, and, and it, it is a daily thing, really, because I don't really well, I don't have a boss. Yeah. And sometimes I actually find that quite hard to not have a boss and like wake up and think, oh, what shall I do today? My diary isn't rammed full of meetings. What shall I do? And I think of always, always, every reference that I've ever been given has always said the first thing, he's an extremely self-starting person. And I think you massively, massively need that when you're a solopreneur because 
you can't look to someone else to give you motivation, whether that's carrot or stick. It's got to come from within. And if it isn't in your DNA, it's not going to work. So you have to be able to self-motivate yourself. But you also, you know, you've got to be literally everything. I mean, I did a post ages ago on LinkedIn with one leg in a suit and one leg in my steel toe caps. And you do have to be everything. And you do have to be able to adapt. And I think the other thing that you need to be able to, you need to be able to think from what's happening now, this this minute, this hour, to, right, what are we doing next year? And what's our three-year goal? And what's our five-year goal? And what's our 10-year goal? Because making a decision about what's today may well give you a different decision if you were to reframe that against the filter of 10 years' time. And I think that's the thing that I've learned probably the most is actually about being able to sort of easily transition from one sort of mind mm. to the other. Mm. And, I mean, I do the chair exercise quite a lot sort of through disassociation, which is tremendously beneficial when you're trying to do that. And I didn't even know what it was called, and I didn't even know it was called disassociation, if I'm honest, until I did some work with Andy Rivers um, about going on stage at the NEC to talk about picking the right size of contractor. When was that? About four years ago, I think. Because it was one of the things that I had a massive, massive fear of was actually speaking publicly. And that's why I invested in that first coach. It was somebody that my wife worked with who's a hostage negotiator and an NLP practitioner. And doing that work on myself made me actually think, well, this is kind of where I need to be. I need to be working on myself. I need to be thinking about my own sort of thoughts and actually how I can actually overcome certain things myself and not just look externally for resources i need to try and find those resources from within mm -hmm. richard i mean this is just fascinating i've just realized how long we've been talking i mean this could go on for um uh for another i could certainly go on for another couple of hours if we well, time, <laughs> I? I think we both could <laughs> poor old marie's hardly had a chance to speak but, <laughs> uh, but listen thank you so much for your time today that's right Really found it brilliant to talk with you. No doubt we'll end up having another chat at some stage later on. Yeah, I look forward to it. That would be brilliant. But for me, thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you both. Nice to meet you, Mary. You too. Guys, until next time, thank you. Need help running your business better? The new Next Steps online course is now out. Follow our steps for success in your business. Please do use the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also visit us at www.nextsteps4for.biz. Send in your questions and any feedback you have to info at nextsteps4.biz. Otherwise, you can contact us through our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Next Steps for Business. You can also find us on LinkedIn at Next Steps for Business. And you can follow us on Twitter at NS4Biz. That's NS, the number four, biz. Thank you. I'll be